Hey friends, Todd Wilson here with my friend and co-host Zach Wagner, wishing you a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And uh, we have been really encouraged this year with the response to the launch of our podcast. We are just less than a year into uh, the podcast and have been uh, so uh, encouraged with the number of listeners that are tuning in to what's happening at the Center for Pastor Theologians and benefiting from the content. We wanted to take a minute to appeal to you, our listeners. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this podcast, we'd like to invite you to consider uh, making a contribution or donation to the Center for Pastor Theologians. We are, of course, a nonprofit and depend upon the gifts and the generosity of donors and supporters like you. This podcast is uh, not possible without your support. So let me encourage you to consider giving to the Center for Pastor Theologians. So if you are interested in supporting us financially, you can do it right now. You can go to pastortheologians.com slash donate and fill out a uh, form to pay with a debit or credit card there uh, and give a gift of any amount to the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can do $3, you can do $300, you can do $3,000, whatever you feel led uh, and compelled to give us this holiday season to support the ongoing ministry. If you want to give, please do it right now. You can pause this podcast. You can take two minutes. You can go fill out the form online, and then you can come right back to the episode. Thank you so much for considering, uh, and Merry Christmas once again from us here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. Back to your regularly scheduled programming. where I was coming from and thinking about Mary, she's not just there for Christmas, but then she's there through the whole part of Jesus's entire ministry. And then with Amy's exegesis on Pentecost and Acts, I mean, that's incredible. And that, that was new thinking for me. And that's not something that I've heard people talk about. So that was a wonderful addition too. And so just saying she's actually part of the whole story. It's not just that one incarnational moment. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pastor Theologian Show. Today we have two guests, Amy Peeler and Jennifer McNutt, both of whom are CPT fellows. Uh, today we're talking with Amy and Jennifer about an article that they recently wrote for Christianity Today entitled The First Christian and our conversation is also a Advent season tie-in because the topic of this article is on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Hope you enjoy the conversation and are enjoying a blessed Advent with your friends, family, and congregation this year. Jennifer and Amy, delighted to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for being here. We're so glad to be here. Thank Thanks you for the invitation. For, yeah, yeah, for sure. For Amy, you've us. been on the podcast before, but Jennifer, we're thrilled to to rope you into this. I uh, appreciate this fun it. And, and, and <laughs> glad you y'all uh, are willing to to do this. And it's a busy time of year for for you all, for all of us, right? With, yes. Uh, uh, Advent upon us and finishing up the semester and, and all the rest of it and church responsibilities that you both have. So thankful for you taking the time to, to chat with us about the front cover lead article in the most recent issue of Christianity Today on Mary. And so we want to spend some time talking about that. 
and thought we could ease into it by just asking how you came to, you know, interest in Mary and, and then in particular writing this, this article and doing it collaboratively. <laughs> so there's a couple of questions tucked in there, but I thought we'd just sort of ease into the whole conversation and, and reflecting on your article by starting with the origin of it and, and your friendship and your obviously colleagues yes. who are Wheaton College. And, yeah. and, uh, and I should say, uh, for the CPT podcast, you're both fellows of the Center for Pastor Theologians, so we're That's thankful right. for that That's as right. well. Uh, so... So there we go. I've teed it up. Do we have so many connections, <laughs> don't we? We also went to Princeton mm-hmm. at the same time. Oh, okay. yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right, right, right. yeah, and are super good friends. Yes. Have been in so prayer groups been together. Since Princeton. Was that when you first well, no, met? No, actually. We overlapped for a year, okay. but didn't know each other at that point. But okay. then when I joined Wheaton, then we realized we had that similar oh, connection. Cool. Okay. Yeah, we just hit it did, off immediately. Did you both do MDivs <laughs> there? I forget what you did. I did MDiv mm-hmm. and PhD there. And, uh, right, okay. Yes, got that's it, right. I did my MDiv and then left for my PhD. <laughs> 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 Had your fill of lovely Princeton, I'm out of here. <laughs> Scotland was Scotland was going yeah, right. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah, so I think, um, well, it's it sort of popped into my head one day. I had been thinking about how I wanted to collaborate more with other scholars and with other female scholars. And I had been asked to go to Moody um, Bible Institute to speak to their theological society, their student society, which is a fantastic group. And they said, we want to hear about the Reformation and Christmas. And I usually do a little thing on it in my Reformation class, but, um, and they really wanted to hear about Mary. Mm. And so, so that's kind of how I entered into the conversation and began to, to really discover a part of the story that I had not heard before Mm. in um, a key book that I would recommend um, was written by Bridget Heal, who was my professor at St. Andrews uh, on the Virgin Mary in the early modern period. And she is one of the few historians who is engaging not just social history, but also theological history. And she has a really good sense of how the theological doctrines are sort of developing in that time as well. And so she also, her work really opened my eyes to another side of it. And so I kind of began to piece different things together, um, especially after a sermon that I preached. And there was the, that story yeah. in the article. On Luke 8 that you mentioned yeah, in the article. Yeah, on Luke 8. So, Which is a marvelous story, and I want to come back to that. Yeah. Come back to that so, and then I just said, Amy, let's, I know you you love the Virgin Mary. You're teaching a class <laughs> on it. You talk about her. Let's write an article together. Yeah, I right. got this She's hook. Let's do it. You know? And, and so, what class was that that you were teaching? So my engagement with, Mary's role in the incarnation has now gone on for several years, probably three to four years now. So my work on the fatherhood of God, which Mm -hmm. is my dissertation focus, as we talked about on the last podcast on Hebrews, uh, very early on in my dissertation writing, I knew I wanted to engage the issue of the gendered conversations from feminist theology with that topic. And then also it was very important to me, the concept of sonship and how we are all children of God. But it was my friendship with Matthew Milliner, another Mm -hmm. PTS grad, that's a Wheaton <laughs> college professor uh, over Thanksgiving. We shared Thanksgiving together one year and he was like, you're writing about fatherhood and sonship and you're not talking about Mary. <laughs> uh, it was literally over the turkey and it was this light bulb. I was like, well, that's true. That's, like, that's that? a gap. Right? How did, as a Protestant, yes. how did I miss that? <laughs> that's exactly. 
exactly. exactly. So that yes. little conversation then sparked, we talked, we kind of worked on some scholarly work together, and then he invited me to join him in teaching his Mary class, which he, which he has taught for several years. His own work is on the iconography of yeah. Mary. Wow. And so he invited me to partner with him in this class, and I have described the class frequently as a party every day. Oh. It's 15 <laughs> weeks of joy. Uh, I do the, a lovely guy, oh, and yeah, and we're so long-time wonderful. friends, yeah, uh, right. all of us. So, so really, he was the spark. So I love to give him all the credit. Marvelous. But now I've just jumped in fully this into this subject. Art class? Well, it's a combination class. It's one of our uh, curricular classes that joins discipline. Wow. So it's art and theology. Very cool. It's a lot of fun. That does sound fun. <laughs> and my own my own monograph that I'm currently hoping to yes. finish up soon is is focused on the incarnation and a significant portion is about Mary. So when Jenny was working on these things, she I've by this point gained a reputation that yeah, I'm like the Virgin Mary person. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> At least in our department. So. <laughs> Though Matt, Matt would, you know, he, he, he really doesn't quite introduce it. you that way. <laughs> <laughs> you could. <laughs> and you you start off with a with a with a marvelous illustration, or ca- it captured my imagination, um, talking about Mary. That as Protestants, we tend to trot Mary out at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Like other Christmas figurines, yeah. and then when the Advent season is passed, we pack her pack up her and up. might come back to her eleven months from then. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Yeah. The, well, the neglect it, of Mary. I think it must be stated that exegetically, there's not voluminous accounts of her. Okay. So sometimes people will say, "Wow, you're doing a whole class on Mary. How do you have enough material?" Yeah. Hmm. But at now, having taught that several times, the portions that we do have are so rich yes. and will invite us so deeply into God's story. We almost always feel like we've run out of time to cover. But it is, you know, in the scope of. Israel's scriptures and the New Testament, the proportion in which she figures is is small. And so that's mm-hmm. fine. And of course, then I think you could speak to a reactionary element against yeah. how other traditions have uh, shown a deep appreciation for her that has at times made Protestants nervous. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's kind of a twofold thing. I think on the mm-hmm. one hand, it has to do with just how Protestantism emerged, um, yes. you know, the desire to put Christ front and center Mm -hmm. to make him the sole and sufficient mediator does simply reduce and demote the role that she has and should have in the life of the believer as a result. So I think that that's... Kind of necessarily, that's necessarily as, 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 for Protestant soteriology. Yes, that's exactly. Necessary. It's necessary. Um, so I think that that's, that's one part of it. Um, but so then also the the story that the, the reformers themselves didn't want to totally give her up mm-hmm. either. I, is, I found that fascinating. Kind of beautiful and yeah, yeah. So, so wonderful. So I think that's one part of it. But I, I think the other part of it is a bigger problem in our Protestant pulpits, which is that um, that we that the talking about women in the Bible at all is fraught with all this other baggage mm-hmm. um, that comes with it, and I think sometimes um, preachers want to shy away from sort of. It, 
focusing on those stories mm-hmm. for fear of maybe misunderstanding or for causing controversy. And, um, and so something that I've been observing is that, you know, the Bible is pretty amazing in how often it names women yeah. and, you know, and they're not just Queens. It's not just mm. the queen of Sheba, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Right. it's just like Mary, this like 13 year old yes. ordinary girl in Nazareth. Fairly right? key part to play and, in the story. Yeah, she has an important <laughs> role, but um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think so. I think that that's part of why Mary gets lost mm-hmm. uh, in in our in our uh, worship life. Mm-hmm. So, or maybe not. I think you're right, lost. But it's striking to me as we've had these conversations. The data is all there yes. in scripture and in tradition. This is funny. You're talking about scripture now. I'm going to talk about tradition. There we We're go. switching <laughs> roles here. <laughs> But our church has been preaching through the Apostles' Creed, and and we say either the Apostles or Nicene every week. Well, she's there every week. Yeah, features prominent. And and when it was my turn to preach and I was assigned that passage, I was saying to my congregation, this is not because we're being politically correct and Mm. it's time for me Mm -hmm. to balance out what Mark and Marcus have done. It's right here in the Creed. This is part of God's story. And so it's opening our eyes, and I include myself, opening our eyes to the wealth that we have in Scripture and tradition that recognizes the value of both men and women. So can we drill down for a second? Because in in the article you make the comment, she's missing from the story, capital T, capital S. Mm. Yeah. That's strong. Mm. That's a strong thing to say. Unpack that a little bit. What? I assume that's not just a rhetorical flourish in the, in the introduction <laughs> to an article, just a, an intention grabber. I think um, so. What was meant there was that the the whole story of Jesus's life. Yes. Um, so again, this this mm-hmm. goes back to an experience I had with preaching Luke eight. Yes. And um, and wanting to talk about the women that were at that will be at the tomb at Easter, but wanting mm. to say, like, they're there before then. <laughs> they don't just emerge in the text out of nowhere. Mm. They've been there. They've been witnesses. They've been participants in the ministry. And that's kind of at least where where I was coming from and yeah. thinking about Mary. She's not just there for Christmas, but then she's there through the whole yes. part mm-hmm. of Jesus's entire ministry. And then Am- with Amy's exegesis on Pentecost and Acts, She's that there was, at Pentecost. I mean, that's incredible, and that that was new thinking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something that I've heard people talk about. So that was a wonderful mm-hmm. addition too. And so, just saying, she's actually part of the whole story. It's mm-hmm. not yeah. just that one incarnational moment. Right. And that's actually reaching back to the Protestant tradition. That is how the Protestant tradition thought about her mm-hmm. when yeah. they were sort of repositioning her role theologically in the life of the church, but still recognizing that her her faithfulness throughout her mm-hmm. whole life yeah. um, as a model for what it means to be a faithful Christian. And Jennifer, it was news to me that Zwingli and Luther and Calvin held to the perpetual virginity yes. of Mary. Can you say that? On the, is that for real? Is yes. that right? Yeah. yeah. This just reflects my sort of Protestant evangelical yes. perception of Mary that yeah. we just need to keep her a little bit at arm's length. I mean, I think this is what you're right. trying to get at. We're trying yeah. to keep her at arm's length. Right. Otherwise, we might slip into praying to her and worshiping, you know, yeah. and and becoming too Catholic in that sense. Well, it's, I don't I don't know the most. I mean, I, I don't that's one of the yeah I, yeah. I had no clue about that either because I feel like that's one of the kind of polemic bullet points that Protestants will pull out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, 
relative to Catholics as it relates to Mariology. It's yes. like, well, you know, we're not talking about something stupid like the perpetual virginity or the Immaculate Conception, right? Yes, yes. And they're like, well, the, the Reformers, yeah. that was just fascinating to me. Yeah. I never would have thought and about it. And I might even say, like, Luther. I and then, kind of yeah. Luther sort of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's medieval. But He's yeah. very Calvin? medieval. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. So this it's is, just kind this is, of a this is real. interesting. And then as you highlight, there are deeply Christological reasons for them holding to right. these. Right. Yeah, I know. It's doctrines. all about Jesus, yes. right? Yeah. It's not at all really about her (laughs) (laughs) because she she is that example of how god has chosen the lowly to do Mm -hmm. something great and so i i think it's fascinating too is just that is she full of grace Mm. in herself and so there's Mm -hmm. that impartation Mm -hmm. and or has she been given this grace and the imputation Mm -hmm. and so that's that's their whole take on it it's it's really the doctrine of justification (laughs) is prevalent in in her um her reception and i will say that will change after the second generation so it's you know, it's going to sort of fizzle out as the gen- as confessionalism becomes um, by the mid 16th century. As confessionalism becomes very clear, yes. um, you know, Mary's going to sort of take a um, mm-hmm. yeah a back seat, <laughs> a, f- a few rows back even. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, everybody, just a quick announcement about an exciting opportunity for you, potentially, to get more involved with the ministries and programming here at the Center for Pastor Theologians. We recently announced that we have begun to accept applications for our fifth Ecclesial Theologian Fellowship. This fellowship will be added to our four existing fellowships, and this is a great opportunity for aspiring and established pastor theologians to join with other like-minded ministers in fellowship and uh, to share the vision of the pastor theologians that is at the center of our mission here at the CPT. If you're interested in finding out more or applying, you can go to our website, pastortheologians.com, and click on the fellowships link on the homepage. Let's get right back into our conversation with Amy Peeler and Jennifer McNutt. things you you underscored in the article is, and I love the line where you say Mary's example was a model of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. How do you avoid, though, making her merely exemplar? Mm -hmm. I mean, what what sort of theological substance is there in Mary as a a story in Scripture? Or what would be lost, maybe put it differently, what would be lost theologically? I get what would be lost in terms of an example of faith, or maybe of justification the way it works, but what would be lost theologically? If, if she was only an exemplar? Yes, that's yeah. right, that's right. I think that's a fantastic question. I love to think about the dichotomy and the ways in which she, we can be like her. And so really the title of the article is kind yes. of moving in that mm-hmm. direction, the first mm-hmm. Christian. But we have to retain always the ways in which we can never be like yeah. her. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of feminist critique against Mariology is saying she's lifted up as this ideal that no one ever can achieve. Mm. And so therefore all people, especially women, feel inadequate in comparison with her. But if you don't retain, and this returns to something Jennifer just said, if you don't retain a robust Christology, the fact that she is Theotokos, as the church declared in Ephesus in 431, she is God-bearer and that can never be repeated. So there are elements, that's why I think attention to her story, to the nuances, to Mm. the great richness that we're given here. And we ask the question, how can I be like her? How can I 
try to copy her faith or depend upon God's grace in such a way that I can copy her faith? And how is it that she was invited to do something that no other human will ever have to do? And so I don't have to ultimately um, mourn the fact that I'm not her because only she will be her. Only she will play this role. So if you lose the focus of her life, which is to point to Christ, Mm -hmm. good Mariology points more fully to Jesus. If you lose that, then you do turn her only into this lovely example, which for a time can be healthy, but I think ultimately leads to people saying, oh, I'll never be as good as her, and therefore I'm inadequate and I'm frustrated at her for being so perfect. Well, you've forgotten that her perfection is related to the fact that she bears God. But are there parts of our Christology that suffer if we don't take Mary more seriously? Yeah, like his humanity. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well said. Pretty important. <laughs> no, so I, to, uh, unpack that a little yeah. bit. Unpack that a little bit because I think I don't think the average Protestant would say, "Yeah, and I and I suffer." I mean, I don't mm. take seriously the humanity of Jesus. Right. So, right. but so, uh, I think they would think, "Well, I take the humanity of Jesus very seriously." We yes. might beg to differ. Right. Right. And Mary is probably connected to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The lack of attention to to her as a as, so right. So I think of two quick examples yeah. here. One, when we attend to the stories of Jesus in which Mary is present, he is. Uh, in the first part in Luke, uh, as he lays out his young life, I think it's of deep importance to reflect. And again, we kind of do this at Christmas in a cheesy way, but really press into the fact that Jesus was a baby Mm -hmm. and a toddler. And I love Luke too and the interaction in the temple because he's a teenager. He's a young 12-year-old. And and again, I invite my students, we're not focusing just on Mary, but we're focusing on Mary's relationship with Jesus. And in those texts, you start to see, as Luke claims in 252, that Jesus himself has to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and humanity. Humanity. He has to develop. And so when you look at the story through her perspective, you see his growing humanity. Yeah, yeah. And in comparison mm-hmm. with non-canonical documents like the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, where Jesus is a five-year-old yeah. who's God and doesn't know yeah. what to do with his power, the Gospels, <laughs> I mean, that's a great comparison. Like a, like a superhero origin story. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But the Gospels are so careful to say he develops as a human. And then the mm-hmm. other powerful thing that I'm discovering in in Christology as we attend to her and the fact that Christ is born through her is because he is born and born only of her flesh, then he embodies all of humanity in a unique way, yes. both male and female. Marvelous. And there's much more that I'd like to yes. dial out there. Um, Can and you dial out a little bit of right, because So he's male, and yes. of course we affirm that. There are reasons for that, historical, issues of power, priesthood. Yep. But he's a male unlike any other, because Matthew yes. and Luke are doggedly committed to the fact that Joseph has nothing to do yes. with us. And the church tradition is yeah. equally yes. doggedly, com- doggedly committed to the to fact this, to this that if he has yeah. flesh, then it comes from from her alone. So he's male who gets his body only from a female. I see that as evidence of him being the image of God. Going back to creation, the image of God is Mm -hmm. in in God's image, male and female. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He embodies, and it's not- Because that could know, be a theological yeah. problem, mm-hmm. potentially. Yes, uh, yes, it's a it's a real question. How does a male savior save women? Now that's mm-hmm. a question from the 1970s feminist literature, but I hear it on the lips of my students yeah. at time. Mm-hmm. How am I included? Well, I see the mm-hmm. incarnation says, yes, Galatians 3.28, you're included spiritually in Christ, but the incarnation says you're included bodily. And in oh, Christianity, beautiful. bodies matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Come her coming from him <laughs> yes. is, yes. again, I'm not saying he's like 
tr- uh, he's like some androgynous. He's yes. male, but he's male only from a female. There's a mystery there That's that is an affirmation of yeah, both. Yeah, because I think I've I've seen the um, theological significance of uh, Mary as it relates to the incarnation is that in Christ's embodiment, he affirms the goodness of maleness but then there's totally. the kind of like yes. leftover mm-hmm. but what about female right. mm-hmm. is 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 femaleness in, uh, you know mm-hmm. affirmed female embodiment is that affirmed as good in the incarnation in the way that male embodiment is and i always understood like well of course it is because he had to be born of a woman and what other and more powerful affirmation could right. that be and and, that's and maybe that's the case but you're pressing a little harder than that there's something unique about the way that he was born of a woman that yeah gives special attention to to yeah. Mary's identity. As and, well. that's and that's why the virgin birth matters so much. Yes. I mean, that's that's the other piece of it. Yes. The text, the New Testament is so clearly affirming and mm. why we want to hold on to it. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. That is, that is marvelous. Jennifer, um, talk about, is it fair to say in Protestant, the Protestant reaction mm. to Mary, we the pendulum swung one way. Is there any danger of it swinging too far the other direction? Of, there does seem to be a resurgence of interest in Mary among mm-hmm. Protestants. So Scott mm-hmm. McKnight's written a book and, right. and others oh, yeah. and, and so on. Is is there is there a danger <laughs> in us swinging the pendulum too far the other way now? Of, of liking her too much? Liking <laughs> her too much, yeah, exactly. So your article's going to start this big movement of love on Mary. You know, all, all Protestants are going to lose their way. You know? And all of a sudden she's going to be mediating. Our yeah, way. yeah, yeah. I mean, is, is that at all a mediating. risk? Or, or another, uh, maybe know. another simpler way to, I mean, um, I th- way to ask it is the, how do we hang on to the value concerns of the Protestant Reformation vis-a-vis Mary, Uh, you know, so. Yeah, I think um, one way that we could sort of, I guess, protect against that, though I I think it's unlikely, but nonetheless, Mm -hmm. to protect against it, I think, is is for Protestants to, um, to recapture the historical perspective on the church and on the history yes. of the church. And if when we talk about Mary as the first Christian, one of the things we're saying is too that she she is the beginning of, as Amy said a second ago, this this tradition that mm-hmm. is about to un, um, unfold over mm-hmm. the ages. Mm-hmm. And one of the the devastating things uh, about the Protestant Reformation is um, the loss of the stories of of faithful Christians throughout history, yes. and because of the cult of the saints, because yes. of the mm-hmm. the worry of, of mm-hmm. worship, and and in fact the, the case of it. Um, you know, but that has meant sort of a, a wiping away of a, of a memory and of a connection mm-hmm. that is that is greater than the 16th century. I mean, that's it's how we talk about it in in our programs here at Wheaton is that you know the whole story of the church is your story. Yeah. Actually, you because of being part of the body of Christ, you're connected to every single ligament. That's Great. you know, and that the church itself, it's about the nature of the church that it defies time, right? Mm-hmm. And it defies space, even as the church has to be contextual. And that's what God has called us to be, is in our place to be faithful ministers of his word. Um, and yet at the same time, it is greater than that, right? Mm-hmm. We, 
Christ's ministry is greater than than just one time and one space. So, um, so I think if we can capture Mary as part of our church history mm. as well, then I think that yeah. would be that could be a way for her to be for Protestants too. Yeah. You know, to say she's not just for Catholics. I, I just preached on the Magnificat yes. yesterday what did <laughs> at you First say? Presbyterian <laughs> Glen Ellen. And, uh, you know, and when the service was over, I had so many people come up and say, I've never really thought about her. Wow. Mm-hmm. A bit I'm, like they responded to your Luke 8. To the sermon. Luke 8 was the other, these other yes, women. Right. But with Mary, it was like, I haven't known what to do with her. Yes. I don't, I feel like she is not ours. You know, mm-hmm. she, yeah. and some she of them are actually tradition. coming yeah. from the, a, a lot of the congregants too are coming from the, the Catholic tradition. And so they are trying to distinguish mm-hmm. um, themselves from their upbringing in a particular way and how they think and their identity uh, as Christians. And so it, it was kind. Of, it's kind of neat to I think provide a bridge yeah, um, between right. that as well. So, um, so I'm I'm very grateful. And actually, Matt Milliner was speaking oh, at the church, and his title was Mary for Presbyterians. So we were like a tag team. <laughs> they're like getting my sermon. They must have thought you conspired to together. Like, we didn't even know. But hey, Jennifer, like, do you know this Matt guy was yeah. teaching something? Yeah, exactly. I, I wonder if I could very quickly yeah, say yeah, yeah. and drinking deep. Don't even be very quick about it. Okay. Lay lay, lay it out. (laughs) In drinking deeply from the well of Catholic and Orthodox theology on Mary, I can't say I know everything. I certainly don't, but I I have tried to listen well to what they say about her. I've learned two things. Number one, their robust and good and faithful Mariology points them deeper into relationship with Jesus. Uh-huh. And so my sense is sometimes the Protestant worry is a bit of a boogeyman that may not care- exist. Mis- now, yeah. are there lay expressions uh, yeah. that are inappropriate? Absolutely. But those who are thinking deeply about the doctrine yeah. do it in ways that are powerful. Yeah. And the second thing I would say is as Matt and I have drunk deeply of these wells, we are more firmly Protestant than we ever have been. (laughs) Because while I have deep appreciation for things like perpetual virginity or her sinlessness, immaculate conception, I ultimately don't go there. And I yeah. know why, because mm-hmm. I don't think the text demands I was going to say, there's not, a, there's not New Testament yeah. There's not, though pointers. I see where they're yeah. reading and where yeah. they get, but I don't think the text demands it. And I think there are negative implications that yes. I don't want to embrace. Mm-hmm. And so while I respect and still have a lot to learn, I am much more firmly Protestant yes. than I was two years ago before yes. I started this work. What are some of the and, negative implications? you would be worried about And I would love to hear Jennifer's comment on this as well with a deeper historical understanding, but um, inevitably with virginity, it seems to me that that can become Mm. something that is so elevated. I think you see this very clearly in the second to third century celibacy. I think today we need to celebrate more, but it had become so elevated that everyone else was a bit Second class. Second class. And I do worry about the implications of what that says about a spirituality for women who are called to bear children. Um, Again, I think it's taking a portion of Mary's life and not the whole of it in ways that could be detrimental. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, and not all Catholic theology has to do that, I'm saying, but there are are threads that make me nervous that I I think, I don't 
don't need to embrace that because uh-huh. I'm not demanded to by the text. Uh-huh. Well, not, I think what you're saying is really good because when you look at the history of doctrine, you realize that usually when people develop a doctrine in a new direction, they're doing that because they're trying to protect something else. Mm-hmm. There's some other question that they're yeah. facing at the time. And usually it is, is a Christological one when mm-hmm. it comes to Mary, but um, it is interesting interesting to see that how the doctrine develops in the later into the to the high middle to late uh, medieval period with scholasticism and because at the same time that uh, that John Dunn Scotus is 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 advancing his views on Mariology is is also when there's this heightened concern over celibacy mm, and there there's extensive propaganda of celibacy and in part it has to do with the fact that the clerk there's a sort of a corruption going on with clerical morality mm. that they're trying to address. And so um, so we have to see, I think, the the doctrine develop in its in its place, mm-hmm. you know, to to understand. But then as Protestants, we want to go back to to the text. And mm-hmm. so as you said, I don't need her to be that right. in yeah. order to affirm what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And then maybe most pressing for my own uh, research has been as Mary is elevated through particularly the assumption that Mm. she there is reigning Mm. in heaven, I have seen in many of these works that she becomes the exemplar for women. She is almost the archegos for women, has forged the trail for women. That makes Jesus very much the archegos for men alone. Mm. So ultimately, the reason why I'm nervous about Mary's elevation and sinlessness and perpetual virginity and assumption is that then you have the Savior, it seems to me, bifurcated, and mm. you forget what I was just speaking of, Jesus's inclusion of all. Yeah. In Christo is the focus, and it kind of becomes this dual path of salvation. Mm. Wow. At least that's how I've perceived it. Yep. Well, and I, I love that too because of how um, it also makes Jesus seem less merciful. That's something oh, yeah. I've and come you bring up this a point lot. Out. Y'all bring this you know, point out in the article, yeah, which I thought was powerful. with the Reformation, yes. it's right. you know this this idea that... I need to appeal to Mary because Jesus won't be as merciful mm-hmm. toward me. And so the queen of heaven is going to step in and say, you know, okay, yeah. son, like, yes. <laughs> be nice to her. Like, like, <laughs> like Mary's hand on Jesus' shoulder, like, no, like, yeah. just relax. Just a, a little, little whisper, yeah. you yes. know. And, yeah. and I, so I love that too because I feel like that it also changes the way we think about Jesus. Mm-hmm. That This is one, yes. and I want to say a second thing, but yeah. it changes the way that we think about who Jesus is. Now Jesus is gracious. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the one that yeah. that listens to us and prays for us, and that's actually what Scripture says. Um, and so, and so does. we see him in a different light as well. And then I also think that with Mary's story too, in the Magnificat, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when we cut her out and we cut that song out, if if we do, if we skip over that, we are missing um, insight into to God's character to who God is, right? Into the doctrine of God. So it's not just Christological, but it's Mm -hmm. also the doctrine of God. And because there it's like, I'm lowly. You've chosen the lowly to do this great thing Mm -hmm. and you fill the hungry and you, you know, there's such a a beauty and um, just such a 
compassion and care mm. that we see through Mary's eyes. Yeah. Um, we see God through Mary's eyes in that way. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 I remember uh, between my sophomore, junior year here, here at Wheaton as a student, I spent a month in India working in Kaligat at Mother Teresa's home with my uncle, who's a Christian. Uh, we had a marvelous time, but we, I remember standing on a train station platform getting ready to catch a train and struck up a conversation with an Indian gentleman who was a Catholic, come to find out he was Catholic, and then he comes to find out I'm Protestant. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget what he said. He just, he, we kind of had this lovely little chat, and then he, he walked away, and then he came back, and he shook his head, and he said, I just feel so sorry for you that you don't have Mary to pray to. Mm -hmm. Kind of to this, I, perhaps oh, yeah. tapping into this perception mm -hmm. of, right. I have the judge of the living and the dead as my intermediary, and <laughs> yeah. that's it. Yeah, right. That sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, that's a little scary. That sounds incredibly right? scary. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you do not have, as you put in the article, Wouldn't mama. it be nice? Yeah, they, you yeah. need mama. <laughs> Wouldn't, it, right. Wouldn't it be nice if you had a mother figure? <laughs> yeah, so, well, that, I think that was his point. I, 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 so. Is that right? I mean, is yeah. that, is that yeah. Oh, yeah. connect with, yeah, with I think so. your research and work yeah, and reflection so. on this? Yeah. No, I think the positive of that, at least how I've heard uh, faithful Catholics speak of it, is they imagine or they uh, perceive themselves as asking her to pray for them as I would say, hey, Zach, would you pray yeah. for me? Right. That's right. Yes. And, and I have found in some times of my life that that makes sense. Yes. Like when I think about the thinness of the veil between the church yes. militant and the church triumphant, yes. there's something really compelling about yes. that. But if it is going in the direction of saying, we need a mother figure, what's the What's the converse of that? You're saying that God is this father yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah. encompass yeah. how much all tenderness of and compassion. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. Again, yeah. it's that poor reflection I think on God. If you're moving in that, we and need a Mary nice mother. Mary has Jesus's ear in a way that the mm -hmm. rest of us don't because he's. She's his mother. That, and I think that's kind of popular understanding often. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. very true. Yeah. Yeah. You, you used two lovely phrases uh, that I loved, um, particularly as a preacher, because it's got an alliteration <laughs> to it, right? Which at the end, you talk about Mary as God bearer and then God and gospel bearer. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if you could kind of elaborate a little bit on that. I thought that was a marvelous way of, of putting things. God bearer um, and gospel bearer. Well, we were, we were trying to, to emphasize the. Um, the Annunciation, yeah. so that she would bear God, Theotokos, um, but then also that she would be present at Pentecost yes. and that she, um, and I think Amy can talk more about that, uh, that yeah. side of it. When they first pitched the article to us, um, there was an emphasis on she's faithful follower of Jesus. And I pushed back a little bit and I said, absolutely, but I don't want to forget her motherhood. Mm. Like, I think that is important. And especially I think of so many women, I talked about the mundane features of Matthew, like mm -hmm. all she's in the background, what is she's doing? She's mothering. I want to say that is valued and that's part of what she does, but that's not all that she does. As Jennifer has said, she's consistently there throughout Jesus's life. Mm -hmm. And she's proclaiming at Acts 2, the good news, the great deeds of God. And mm. so she's faithful throughout uh, as prophet, as proclaimer, as mother. All of these things are are intertwined together. Now, I've got a dog in that fight, right? Because <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's right. my that's life right. too. Right. I mother and I proclaim <laughs> and I teach. But, and so there's yeah. that danger. I do sometimes wonder, am I staring in the well and seeing yes. my own reflection? But I hope that I'm tethered to the evidence yeah. of the text um. that she's not exhausted. Yep. Her work is not exhausted in Luke 2. It continues. Mm -hmm. But I want to keep both of those things in their value. So that was what that phrase That's was marvelous. trying to do. That's marvelous. Well, and I think, too, um, just as 
as Protestants, you know, the doctrine of the un- of union with Christ has been such an important doctrine and for the whole history of the church, frankly. Mm. And so, so Mary though represents that in such a special way, picture, right? right? Yeah. As Amy was saying, in a way that cannot be reproduced, right. <laughs> but yet we are all called to be tethered to Christ. We're all called to be yeah. united to Him, and so, um, so that's the other part of it. We're all called to to bear. And we're all called to proclaim. Mm-hmm. Marvelous, marvelous. Well, let me say to our listeners, go grab, uh, if you haven't already picked up uh, the December issue of Christianity Today, go grab it and check out Jamie and Jennifer, uh, Amy and Jennifer, excuse there me. Is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one. Uh, uh, article, you will be blessed and encouraged this Advent season and beyond. So uh, Amy and Jennifer, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Good to be here. Thank you so much. That was thank fun. You. It's a joy. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of our conversation with Amy Peeler and Jennifer McNutt. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CPT Podcast, a theology podcast for the church. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider throwing us a like, sharing the podcast online, subscribing, leaving a review. Uh, Anything like that would go a long way towards helping other people hear about the podcast. Uh, The CPT Podcast is a ministry of the Center for Pastor Theologians. You can learn more about the CPT by visiting us at pastortheologians.com. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Our host for today's episode was Todd Wilson. Our producer and editor was Trenton Jones. Our music was composed by Andrew Gerlicher. I'm Zach Wagner. Thanks for listening.